It's Friday, so you know the drill. It's time for the weekly news recap. The Department of Housing and Urban Development is accusing Chicago of violating federal civil rights laws. Chicago aldermen have approved without debate a major proposal meant to help stamp out corruption at City Hall. The City Council approved the measure unanimously. Chicago's controversial $35 speed camera tickets are here to stay after aldermen officially rejected an effort to get rid of them. We've got a lot to talk about. Our panel today is Tina Svandelis, Chief Political Reporter for the Chicago Sun-Times. Welcome back to Reset, Tina. Thank you. Also here is former WBZ reporter Monica Ng, who is now with Axios. Great to have you back, Monica. Great to be here, Mike. <laughs> and again with us on the Weekly News Recap is Greg Hines, political writer for Crane Chicago Business. Hey, Greg. Hey. And I want to give a special shout out to folks watching us break down the week's news live right now on WBZ's Facebook and WBZ's YouTube pages. You can also watch the live stream on Reset Facebook page. All right. So it was a busy week for Chicago City Council. Let's start with what came as a surprise to many yesterday. Northside Alderman Michelle Smith announced she will not seek reelection. Greg, what, what's the reason behind that? Well, I'll tell you what the aldermen said, uh, <laughs> what, what public officials say, and what, uh, with no offense to the aldermen, what they say and what's really going on are not always the same. Uh, what the aldermen said is that, uh, is that uh, hey, she's, got, uh, she's up there in years, she's 67, uh, she's got sick family members that she needs to take care of, and that has to be her priority right now, and that much as she'd like to stick around, uh, uh, she just can't. I think that is probably largely true, but... It's no fun being an alderman now, particularly in the time of COVID. Um, uh, It's it's a very hard job for a young person. Um, uh, I could understand why she doesn't want to be woken up in the middle of the night by people complaining about uh, uh, the mugging on the street corner or what happened to my garbage can or whatever. Uh, It looks like there's going to be an awful lot of turnover uh, in the city council this year. Uh, Two other uh, aldermen on the north side, uh, uh, Harry Osterman from the uh, 48th Ward and... uh, and uh, uh, Jim, Jim Kaplan, thank you, uh, from the 46th Ward, uh, mm. if I have hung it up. Uh, I think that probably tells you something about the difficulty of the job in the political environment right now. You know, and this gives Mayor Lightfoot another aldermanic appointment. Any speculation who she might pick? Um, I've started to hear some names. I haven't had a chance to vet them. Uh, but it is interesting. Uh, whoever she picks will have a leg up uh, in the city council. Uh, Alderman Smith has been a... Uh, fairly loyal supporter of the mayor's, not always, but most of the time. Presumably the, the mayor is going to pick somebody who's going to vote with her. That's an old Rahm Emanuel trick. <laughs> if, you, if you can pick the people to vote on your budget, guess what? They vote yes. Tina, who do you think she might get? I'm not sure, but, I mean, she is an ally of the mayor. She's a former federal prosecutor, which I always forget about that. You see on the bottom of the stories that uh, there's that experience. So I, I'm not sure, but I think that um, Lightfoot has been choosing people that she knows will work well with her, which is what she's supposed to be doing when she appoints new people. Right. So we're going to move on to the conversation, to the contentious topic for many Chicagoans, speed cameras. Alderman debated that this week. Monica, what happened? Well, the the big vote that was delayed by a month uh, turned out in the mayor's favor. Looks like that six-mile-an-hour threshold is going to stay, so we're all going to have to put on the uh, brakes when we go near schools and parks. I got two of those myself, so I get it. Uh, It can be surprising to find that in the mail. But as a biker, I biked here today, I like that people are going to be more conscious. You know, I certainly am more conscious about how fast I go. 
But, you know, we, we crunched the data at Axios, and it really is mixed. You can't say that there's a slam dunk either way in terms of reducing accidents or fatalities. In fact, fatalities went up by 114% near cameras, mm-hmm. and yet they only went up by 44% um, not near cameras. So what does that say? It's true that, that actual crashes have gone down, um, but, uh, you know, it, there's, there's no slam dunk when you look at the data on it. Sure. And Monica, Axios did a detailed analysis of which neighborhoods are getting the most speeding tickets. What were your what were the findings on that? Well, you know, yeah, actually, UIC did a great analysis of that, and it showed that neighborhoods of color were getting the most uh, speeding tickets. We also did analysis of where um, crashes and injuries were rising, and they were rising a lot more um, since the speed cameras uh, dropped to six miles per hour on the south and west sides than on the north side. Now, the city council also unanimously approved a new ethics ordinance. Greg, what are the details of that? Well, there's some uh, there's some good stuff in it. There's some uh, stuff that got cut out. Uh, uh, I, I hope it works. I mean, I, I frankly think that, uh, that trying to pass an ethics bill is like a, trying to teach a, a cat to <laughs> sit up and bark. Uh, it just uh, ethics in city council just don't quite work. Uh, but uh, uh, they did. Uh, for, uh, I think the main thing is they increased the fines dramatically uh, for violations. Uh, they said that uh, uh, former aldermen who have turned lobbyists can't work the floor. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean they can't call you up or text you or whatever. Um, uh, on the other hand, uh, at the insistence of the mayor, they uh, they added a, an odd provision that uh, before the uh, before uh, public criticism of somebody for violating ethics can be issued, there has to be a ten day waiting period. In other words, the that person has ten days to, to change their change their habits. Um, <laughs> Uh, I don't know. Maybe the maybe the idea there is that uh, we don't want to scream at people. We want we want to enforce it, uh, but you know, it's is it better than it was before? Yeah, this is an improvement. Uh, is this going to end uh, crime and corruption? Are all of them going to turn into saints? I think we all know the answer to that. Well, I was just going to ask that to Tina. This, I mean, does this mean the end of political corruption in Chicago with this never. new ethics? Never, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> well, what do you think it means? What What does it really do? I mean. We see this every year, every two years, every election year, every midterm year. So it's good to be keeping track of this. It's good to be making incremental changes. Maybe I should be a little bit more optimistic that there will be an end to public corruption, but I don't see that happening. Right. But we do know that the ethics package did get watered down a little bit. Uh, Greg, any more details on that? Well, I I mentioned a couple of things. Uh, uh, One of the other changes is that... that, uh, the limits on ex-aldermen being lobbyists were not as great as, as uh, some mm-hmm. civic groups wanted. Uh, David Greising, the head of the BGA, had, a, had an off-head piece in the Tribune today that, that pretty much spelled out uh, uh, the, the pluses and minuses of this. You know, I've covered this stuff, this corruption stuff, on and off for, for four decades and did a date myself. You know, and it keeps happening. Uh, and I've kind of reached the conclusion that having tough laws will help but what it's ultimately going to take is a change of attitude. People have to go into public service for public service, not to make a buck. And until we get that idea through to the political class collectively, it's going to keep happening regardless of what we do. And their salaries are good, as every story says. $130,000 is pretty good for an alderman compared to other pol- yep. political jobs. But So that's the tricky part is they are getting paid well. It is a hard job, but there's also that need for more. You know, another thing that passed in city council was something called the Connected Communities Ordinance. What's that all about, Greg? Um, that is uh, anybody who uh, has, who's driven along or familiar with North North Milwaukee Avenue. 
uh, like in the Bucktown area and, and north of there, has seen a whole bunch of high rises sprout like crazy, residential high rises in the last 10 years. And that's largely because of a change in city law uh, that uh, went into effect under former Mayor Emanuel to give a, a density bonus to people that locate near rapid transit stations. The idea is that, hey, people, those people, uh, if they're next to the L-stop, they won't need to use a car, so we'll let the developer build a little bigger. Uh, we'll put some more people in. We'll turn around the neighborhood. Well, this new provision um, expands this to south and west side areas that haven't had the same kind of economic pop. Uh, it also expands it to, to areas along busy bus corridors. It doesn't have to necessarily be a, a train stop anymore. Um, uh, and there's another provision that in the, in the thing that limits uh, – designed to limit gentrification uh, in some of the areas where uh, – where, uh, uh, large amounts of uh, housing that's available to lower-income people, lower-middle-income lower, lower people, have been converted to, to to nice, fancy houses for new people. So the ability in certain areas of the city to tear down, a say, a three-flat and put up a, a, a mansion for yourself, that'll be limited. We'll see how that works out. Uh, uh, the intention is good, uh, but uh, some of the developers have warned that if you go too far down that road, you cut off the development that the city has to has to have. But uh, the the intention here is good. If they can do on the south and west side what's happened on Milwaukee Avenue, it'll be really nice. Well, you're listening to the weekly news recap here on Reset. I'm Michael Puente, sitting in for Sasha Ann Simons. Our panel today includes Axios reporter Monica Ng. Greg Hines, political writer for Crane Chicago Business and Chicago Sun-Times chief political reporter Tina Svondelis. Continuing with Chicago City Council, another ordinance would allow police officers to reject extended or unscheduled hours. Greg, this comes after the police department's been criticized for canceling officers' days off, right? It has. Uh, the mayor says that it ain't true that uh, that. Uh Police have, have plenty of time off, but if you talk to the officers, there's, there's I think, uh, pretty pretty clear evidence that uh, that people are working 60, 70 hours a week sometimes. Um, uh, I know what would happen to me if I work 60 hours a week. I do it occasionally, and, and I get really cranky by the end of the week, uh, you know, and if you're – if you're out on the street and you have to make life and death decisions, uh, you don't want people to be tired. You want them to be fresh. Right. Uh, but the, the city may not have a choice because there's huge vacancies now in the police department. Uh, but if if it, if working for the department is not deemed as as desirable, you're going to have trouble filling those vacancies. This becomes a a, a downward spiral here. But uh, uh, so uh, they pass the ordinance. Uh, uh, that, uh, or they, that there's a proposal to pass an ordinance to do something about this. Uh, I have a hunch the mayor's going to ice it. Uh, but uh, the, the problem is real. I think uh, you don't want cops in particular. You don't want them burnt out any more than you want anything else in life burnt sure. out. Sure. You know, this ordinance is called the safety package. It also aims to eliminate the civilian office of police accountability. Is that, yeah, that's that the, uh, that's, that's kind of the little hidden surprise inside the package. Um, uh, while I think on the one hand that I don't want my police to be overworked, I want them to be fresh and know what they're doing, at the same time, if they screw up, they have to be held accountable. And and to just summarily propose, oh, we're going to get rid of this and we'll put in something else down the road. We'll tell you what it is later. Uh, that's, uh, that's a free pass. We all have, we all have uh, editors. We all have bosses in life. Uh, we all have to be held accountable. That is particularly true with police because of the long history in this city of uh, very bad relations between communities of color in particular, and cops who've gone too far. 
Well, another story that's on the radar, a very familiar name to many Chicagoans announced he'd like a seat on the city council. Tina, what can you tell us about Sam Royko? Yeah, Sam Royko is running for alderman in the first ward against Daniel Espada. Um, if you want to read more about him, read Rick Hogan's awesome story about him where it's like it's it's pretty glowing, but it's got hilarious uh, quotes from his dad about corruption and alderman. So it's kind of ironic that he is running. Um, he is young. He is trying to be uh, a little bit different than La Spada, who um, he's got a, a lot of labor um, mm-hmm. support. He's got the Democratic Socialist kind of type people supporting him, but he's in a ward that has had some redistricting, just as we were talking about with the um, affordable housing and the knocking down homes for McMansions um, that's happening in Logan Square, which is now part of that ward. So it is an interesting time for him to see a competitor because he could swoop in. There are different needs. It's uh, I believe it's like Bucktown, Wicker Park, Logan Square area. It's a lot of different problems, especially during the pandemic. Lots of things to clean up, lots of small business owners who are upset, and lots of affordable housing options there, too. Now, Greg, of course, um, uh, uh, Sam Royko's father was the late Pulitzer Prize-winning columnist Mike Royko, who devoted much of his career to exposing political corruption and poking fun at politicians. What do you think he would have to say about his son's political aspirations? Uh, I suspect (laughs) he'd have a chuckle about it. Um, uh, Mike Royko... Terrific writer. I mean, there hasn't been anybody in this business in Chicago who could put together sentences and paragraphs and ideas like Mike Royko in a very long time. Um, he knew, though, that uh, he was in kind of a symbiotic relationship with 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 Richard J. Daly, who was his main foil. I mean, uh, he needed Daly. Daly needed him to some degree. Uh, they kind of fed off each other. So I suspect he'd, he'd get a chuckle out of it, and then he'd say, "Hey, uh, let's call up Slats Grubnick and see what Slats had to say." <laughs> Could you see um, reporters here in Chicago giving Sam sort of a break because they they knew about his father or knew him firsthand or are aware of his writing? Uh, There are uh, a few of us who remember Mike Ryko personally. Um, uh, My Mike Ryko story, once when I was uh, president of the Chicago Newspaper Guild and I wanted him to – we were going to have a some kind of fundraising event, and I wanted him to show up, and I called him up, and he got him on the phone. He was his typical uh, uh, sociable self. No! I remember uh, when I was uh, when I started as a copy clerk at the Chicago Sun-Times in 85, Roger Ebert took me down to um, the goat, the billy goat, for lunch, and there was Royko sitting there. And he said, hey, have lunch with us. So he said, hey, what's your name? And I told him, Monica. And he said, what's your background? I said, Chinese Puerto Rican. He said, you should be a roofing contractor. Because that's when they finally started giving some the secret. To <laughs> the secret to Royko's heart is you had to play softball. If you played softball, he loved you because he's a, a real nut. <laughs> Which I do. Yeah. Well, let's turn to another story. Monica, federal officials accuse Chicago of violating the rights of its residents by moving polluting businesses into minority neighborhoods. What are the details of that? Well, um, you know, it's a leaked letter. And uh, Axios did get a copy of it. Um, but, it, yeah, it basically, you know, charges that the city's policies are racist and that uh, that more environmental justice work needs to be done based on some of the deals that happened in advance of that. And as we know, the, you know, they ended up not opening the shredder there. But, um, you know, we, we've got requests into the mayor's office. You know, what's your response? Right now it's, you know, these allegations are absurd and I'm not going to answer to a leaked letter. But... We are looking forward to when there will be a robust reply to it, you know, if and when it it becomes a public letter. 
So what is HUD demanding of the city and what happens if the city doesn't comply? Well, I mean, again, it's all, you know, leaked letter. But, mm. uh, you know, it's, it appears that they're asking the city to review, to strongly review their policies. And um, there's a suggestion that, you know, if they don't, they could be losing millions in federal funding. We're going to turn away from city politics now. Illinois Congressman Adam Kinzinger was in the national spotlight heading up last night's January 6th committee hearing. How did you think he did, Monica? Did you see that? I watched it. Boy, was that great prime time watching. Um, Well, you know, uh, this is a Democratic town, but let's just say that Republican sure looked impressive. I mean, he I hate to say this presidential. Um, but, you know, I, I was waiting for sort of the uh, the John Williams music <laughs> to start soaring <laughs> under his words about dereliction right. of On behalf of Adam Kissinger, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, I have to say that was impressive. Right. And Kinzinger is one of the few Republicans who's willing to take on former President Donald Trump. During the hearing, he spoke of Trump's dereliction of duty, how Trump intentionally did nothing in the hopes it would pressure Pence to overthrow the election. Kinzinger chose not to run for re-election. Monica, what do you think all this this tough stand against Trump uh, election um, idealism will mean for his career going forward? Well, there's so much conjecture about what he might do. I think when he when he decided that he wasn't going to run again, he said he has other, you know, ambitions uh, mm-hmm. maybe outside of Illinois. So I think that there's a suggestion there. Um, but uh, you know, being on this committee, he's he's attracted a lot of hate. You know, sure. he and Liz Cheney, and um, and you know, being a former veteran or sorry, a former Air Force pilot, um, and you know, I, I hope this doesn't sound sexist as being someone who you know. Kind of a handsome guy. Uh, You know, who knows what that's going to mean for uh, luring votes from the Republican side or the Democratic side um, into an independent party uh, that that he has been discussing. And on the marriage equality vote, he and Rodney Davis, surprisingly, two two people not running for reelection, they were some of the few who who voted for it in the Republican Party. So... um, I don't know. I, I feel like he's telegraphing some sort of national thing. And independents are watching the January 6th hearings. There's been polling on it. So it is important for yep. them to see these Republicans stand up against Trump. Yeah, I think what's interesting about this thing is, is does this change the dynamic? Any? Does, this, uh, does this change the core opinion of uh, Republicans who still seem to like Donald Trump? Uh, the, the polls that Tina referred to uh, suggest that there's not been a massive move, but there's definitely some weakening on the margins and uh, some weakening among independents. And frankly, I thought that, that Kissinger framed this thing very, very well last uh, last night. Uh, he asked. He said the question isn't isn't uh, isn't uh, what uh, whether whether the president uh, allowed it. The president is, is did he pursue it? Did he push it? And, and, mm-hmm. and he did. I mean, he didn't just. It wasn't just a question of sitting there. It was you know, all kinds of people were telling him you got to. People in his family, his own lawyer, run in and tell him, you got to do something about this, you got to do something about it. He just sat there, apparently, like a bug on a rug with a big smile watching the riots. Right, right. Well, we learned Wednesday that 79-year-old President Joe Biden has COVID. Earlier in the week, we found out someone closer to home tested positive. Tina, fill us in on that. Yeah, um, Governor Pritzker tested positive on Tuesday. I checked in with his people today. They say he is less congested on work calls. He's feeling better. He's finishing out his isolation. He's doing his five days. He's taking the antiviral medication. No weird side effects. I asked if he had that metallic taste. Apparently he hasn't had that. 
Um, so he has been on work calls. But the big thing here is that he has been traveling a lot and not mm-hmm. necessarily for Illinois-related things. So last week he was at the National Governors Association uh, conference in Maine. That was Wednesday and Thursday. He came back Friday. He flew to Florida on Saturday, flew back home on Sunday, tested positive on Tuesday. He does have other people that traveled with him who are positive as well. Um, and as we know, this variant is very transmissible. Um, and I, it's, I still think it's pretty impressive to people who just got it for the first time now. So President Biden and Pritzker, they're pretty lucky that they're getting this more mild strain. Do we know where maybe you picked it up at? Maybe in Florida? Yeah, they do. I, I They do believe it was in Florida. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just a lot of meetings, no masks, a lot of big me- big conferences. Um, and I know Representative Val Demings also uh, tested positive from that Florida event. So we can, have a couple can, of people. Can Ken Griffin's revenge? <laughs> <laughs> well, Greg, all he this. You made some jokes about him, so maybe. Yeah. All this traveling by Pritzker is fueling some uh, speculation that he may run for national office. What, what are you, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, I think he is uh, definitely kicking the tires here. I had thought initially that he was doing what any good politician does, uh, keeping your options open. Somebody offers you a big, a big speaking gig, uh, you, you tend to take it because politicians like attention. But there's now been a whole series. He's been in Maine. Uh, he's been in Florida. Uh, he's been at the White House. Uh, he, uh, New Hampshire. Uh, Hampshire. Um, he did take Tapper show on CNN. Uh, he's 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 been much more assertive in a way that a lot of Democrats wish Joe Biden had been. Mm. Uh, and he, while he's hedged all of this on, well, I'm not going to run against Biden. If Biden runs, I'll support him. Uh, there's a growing number of people uh, in the party who think, you know, this Joe finish your term and whatever. I, I now think that that it, at a minimum he's seriously toying with it. Well, Tina, the governor's uh, COVID, uh, is it impacting his schedule? Well, they say that he's been working, which I think is kind of funny because when you do have COVID, you probably need a day or two off. I don't know how serious it is, but you see these politicians showing that they're working. You saw Joe Biden. I know, they're setting such yesterday. a bad example, you know, it's, showing pictures like, hey, rest. That's what you're supposed to do. Right. But it is, it appears, you know, they don't want to look weak. Um, mm-hmm. They are humans like us, but they can't really show it. So he has been working. Um, and I think Joe Biden, too put out a message yesterday he keeps on saying we get like the most updates you've ever gotten you get more updates than your own personal health i think um so it is a way to show that they are still strong they are still our leaders and what's the latest about um on pritzker's republican gubernatorial opponent darren bailey well it has been kind of quiet after Mm -hmm. he flubbed his response to the highland park shooting i think it has been a little bit quiet i'm sure he's going to be trying to rev things up but I, I have kept in touch with them this week and I do think crime is going to be a huge focus for them um, the economy so I think those are the things that they're going to be focusing on the next couple of weeks well you're listening to the weekly news recap here on reset I'm Michael Puentes sitting in for Sasha Ann Simons our panel today includes Axios reporter Monica Ng Greg Hines political writer for Crane Chicago Business and Chicago Sun-Times chief political reporter Tina Svondelis Now, Lake County officials, including Highland Park Mayor Nancy Rotering, were in Washington this week. Let's listen to what she told the Senate Judiciary Committee. Bottom line, we know that moving forward as a community, moving forward as a nation, we need to get combat weapons out of civilian hands. So I appreciate the question. It's still a new journey for all of us. It'll be a long journey. But right now, we need these weapons out of civilian hands. Well said. Well said. Well, Tina, tell us, what what was Mayor Rotary testifying about? 
Uh, it was they were talking about gun violence and banning assault weapons, which um, Ronering led in Highland Park the ban of assault weapons. Um, and she was with Senator Tammy Duckworth, and obviously this is a prime time for her to be before the Senate Judiciary Committee. Um, it's very emotional address talking about how kids at the parade knew how to hide from gunfire because of their uh, shootings, their active shooter drills in school, which is really depressing. Um, so just kind of showing the people impact of what happened at the Highland Park shooting. Um, but obviously you need Senate, the Senate to do something. You mm-hmm. have seen these committees. There was one about abortion last week um, in which the witnesses just kind of don't talk to each other. They they have opposing views and they're not listening to each other. So it's kind of the same thing. The Republicans don't see the need for uh, banning assault weapons, saying that there was an assault weapon ban in Highland Park. Obviously he got around that, but the Republicans are not on board with this. Um, and I think it's going to be a heavy lift for the Senate to do anything. What did Senator Dick Durbin have to say at the hearing? Uh, he did. It was emotional. He, he is pushing for it. He's not done. He's going to keep fighting. So I think that uh, that's an important message for him to put out, that even though it will be difficult for the Senate to do anything, he's going to try to be a leader on pushing for this. And uh, Senator Duckworth, what, how did she add to this, to the hearing? Um, I think that she, she did talk about, uh, I believe, her child. More uh, very sad narratives of anybody with children in schools, the fear that pe- the parents have of what we've seen this year in Uvalde and even with this um, and how the kids are growing up in a different way than what we've seen. And so it, it just added an important people element to the story. And U.S. Congresswoman Jan Schakowsky of Evanston also made national news this week. She was arrested in D.C. Uh, Greg, what are the details about that? Well, there's a long and a long uh, tradition in American politics on both sides of the aisle, frankly, of uh, when you want to make a political point, uh, particularly on really emotional issues, you arrange to have yourself arrested. Uh, and that's exactly what happened to uh, uh, Congresswoman Schakowsky and uh, several of her colleagues. They were protesting the Supreme Court's uh, uh, decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Uh, uh, and they were warned repeatedly by the, by the police, apparently, several times. If you don't move, we're going to have to arrest you. And they more or less said, "Yeah, arrest me." Um, it it brings you know it brings attention to uh, uh, to an issue. Uh, it's good politics back home, but you don't have to look any further back than, than Martin Luther King, who made the point mm-hmm. that occasionally, and this applies to both conservatives and liberals, occasionally you have to put your butt on the line if you really want to make a political point. Right. That's right. Okay, we're going to steer the conversation in another direction, no pun intended. Mayor Lightfoot's revved up about a new sport coming to Chicago. I'm looking forward to showcasing our fantastic city on a global stage, and we're going to do everything we can to make sure that this race is a love letter to the city of Chicago. For those who haven't heard, she's talking about car racing here in downtown Chicago. Monica, can you map out what's going on here? Well, NASCAR's coming to Chicago, three-year deal. They're going to have a 2.2-mile track around Grant Park, close down a lot of streets. Um, but it's unclear if this is going to be like a big moneymaker that uh, the City Hall is suggesting. Um, one University of Chicago economics professor said, we'd be lucky if we break even. And I think a lot of people are still kind of figuring out, like, well, how is this a spectator sport? You kind of figure out, like, the Indy 500, all those people pack into that stadium. But what, everybody's going to pack into Grant Park. Are there any bleachers there? How, how will this make money? And um, what about traffic? What about delays when we're trying to get through Chicago? Um, the, the, the environmental question has been asked, and some of these will um, have uh, – 
think there's something called a motor train or something <laughs> inside a car, but, but it'll be electric, um, that some of them will be electric. But still, you know, I don't want to sound like a, a party pooper, but really a lot of noise and crowds and, and cars making, you know, going around in circles. I, I can see some people not being so crazy about it, but the mayor's really into it, you know, because we love people racing in the streets and going really fast in this town. Do, do we know any details of, as far as, like, how much money the city would be getting for hosting the event? Uh, you know, again, I, I, I leave it to the professors who say you ask 10 people and you're going to get 10 d- different answers. I think there aren't enough details to show how revenue is exactly going to be brought in. There are vague things like, hey, I recently went to a race in Indy and there's a real buzz in town and hotels were full. Okay, well, how is that going to work here? Right. Tina, what do you think about all this? Uh, I think that uh, they are trying to bring in, even if it's random events, they do. We, we need help with hotels still and all of the tourism industry. So when, whenever we lose things, we've lost conferences in the past year or two. I feel like there are people out there trying to get these different opportunities that we haven't had before. And this seems to be one of those. Uh, Greg, we're pretty sure that these cars will be going six miles over the speed limit, right? <laughs> I, suspect, I suspect so. Um, you know, I'm with, I'm with Tina. Uh, the city has gotten all kinds of black eyes lately. Uh, this is a big tourism promotion thing, Chicago on a world stage uh, uh, with, with, with something new and exciting that uh, it's, it's attractive to people. But there are no questions. There's lots and lots of questions. And so far, the city hall, uh, the sports commission, the Chicago Parks, it's been radioactive silence. Nobody will say anything about what the deal is, how much money, uh, how long is Lakeshore Drive going to be closed or whatever. Uh, boy, does that remind anybody of, of a certain <laughs> former past mayor who uh, come up with great ideas and get, didn't give any details, just said vote for it? <laughs> well, uh, be- before we leave, uh, the mayor is inviting NASCAR to host this uh, discreet court races. The city council approved another ordinance that aims to crack down on drag racing. Monica, what can you tell us about that? Well, there were already fines in place for it, but this, you know, kind of makes it even stricter. Um, you know, it can be a felony and the, you don't need the owner of the car around now to impound it. And, you know, we, we asked our readers at Axios, is there drag racing in your area? And we got a ton of letters back. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know, this this intersection, this intersection. Take a look at all the tire tracks or take a look at this video I'm sending you. We also asked our colleagues in other cities because we have these Axios locals across the nation. And they're like, in Twin Cities, it's a really big problem. In Denver, it's a really big problem. And so, you know, here we're trying to deal with it in our own way. Will will this threat that, you know, the car can be impounded and the owner doesn't even need to be there um, end up cracking down on it more? Let's see. But I mean, mm-hmm. I have to say, you know, the mayor put out the statement that, you know, democracy, the things are going wild when when these people start shooting um, fireworks at the cops when they come. I think it's an attempt to try to, like, tamp down this feeling of anarchy that some people have. Well, we got about a minute left. Monica, what are some of the stories you're going to be watching for in the coming week? Oh, in the coming week, uh, boy, the, the the lead up to Lollapalooza, um, you know, boy, I, I just want to have fun. I, I'm really into, I'm jumping in the lake this morning. I'm going to be writing a story about this club called the Friday Swim Club, where at 7 a.m., a bunch of people meet at Montrose Harbor and hundreds at the same time go, one, two, three, jump. So I'm looking forward to celebrating our city, unlike certain bloggers who say that Chicago is like failing. 
Ah, Tina, what are you what are you looking for in the coming week? Um, I'm keeping track of what are the gun legislation or what abortion related um, legislation we might try to pass in Illinois with a special session. We're not sure when that might be, but things are brewing. People are having meetings and things are kind of formulating. And Greg, what about you? What's coming up? Uh, the uh, Democratic National Committee has a, a delegation in town starting Monday evening uh, uh-huh. to uh, kick the tires on hosting uh, the uh, uh, 2024 uh, Democratic National Convention, Presidential Nominating Convention here. Uh, the city's going to really roll out the red carpet. Uh, uh, we'll see if uh, the mayor's going to cross her fingers. Hopefully there's not going to be a, a big nasty crime things that, uh, that interfere. Uh, and this this ties into whether there's going to be a fight over uh, over electing a new chairman of the state Democratic Party. Uh, uh, there's some reason to think that the, that, the, that the National Democratic Party isn't going to give Chicago this thing if if we're fighting over our, our party chairman. So maybe Pritzker will will, will uh, uh, bow off and not push that. He hasn't said yet, but uh, we haven't seen his candidate. If there's going to be one emerge yet, and we'll see if he's healthy enough next week to be part of that. Agreed. Interesting. Well, we're going to keep an eye on that. Well, that's it for the weekly news recap. Thanks to our panel today, Tina Fondelis of the Chicago Sun-Times, Monica Ng of Axios, and Greg Hines of Crane Chicago Business. Thanks to all of you, and have a great weekend. Want more context on the top issues of the day? Find the podcast, WBEZ's Reset, wherever you listen.